Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Amen. Hello, Celebrate. It's great to be with you. It always feels like coming back home. Uh, my name is John, and my wife Dana and I are one of your church planters, and uh, you sent us a uh, very, very short car trip and a very, very long walk from, from here uh, to Brandon, South Dakota. And sometimes I, I wonder, like, amen. Sometimes I wonder, why, like, why would God send my wife and I to Brandon? And, and I think I've, I've realized maybe now that part of the reason is because God knew that those who would need the most help should be the closest. <laughs> I, I really believe that because God's doing something in this church, in his church, that I believe requires people to go. It, it's not enough just to come and sit. We have to go. God's spirit is ascending spirit. And, and our pastor, Keith, uh, I just want to thank him so much for the opportunity and privilege to come and share from God's word. Every time I come here, it's like coming home. It's a very special place to me. Pastor Keith is a very special person to me. He's my pastor, and it's so cool to get to partner with him and Kay in ministry uh, as God's kingdom continues to grow. And uh, so I, I want to pray uh, here in a moment for all of us, because as God's spirit moves, uh, you're doing amazing things here in Sioux Falls. God's called you to be here. He's called you to not keep church here in the building, but celebrate on a mission. I love to hear those stories. And so you keep going, and you keep being the church and being Jesus in this community. It's so important. And so uh, as we prepare to look into God's word, I just want to invite you to, to close your eyes and we're going to pray and just invite God's spirit to be with us. Father, we come to you. And the reality is, is that we need you. Without you, we can't do anything. And it's because of your son Jesus and his sacrifice, his life, his love and his giving of his life on a cross that we can have a conversation for you. And so, as Chris shared, we, we don't take that for granted. We say thank you this morning. Father, I just invite uh, by your Holy Spirit that you would be in this place and that you would communicate your truth, your timeless, your holy truth through a vessel like me to a people like this that need to hear this morning. That need to hear this morning from you. We give the, the praise and the glory to you, in Jesus' name, amen. If, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up on the left side to the second book of the Bible. It's Genesis is the first, and then Exodus is the second. Exodus chapter 32, as you're turning there, I just want to give you a little bit of background. God, in Genesis chapter 12, he calls this guy named Abram. He calls him out. He sends him to a place, and, and here's his instructions. He didn't tell him a place. He goes, just go to the place, and on the way, I'm going to show you. Abram goes, and uh, he is the father of a great people, and these people, over time, they begin to wander a bit. They begin to wander, and in their wandering, they end up in Egypt, and after 400 years in Egypt, uh, they, they realize, man, we're, we're kind of in a bad spot. They're in slavery. They're stuck in slavery for over 400 years. And during that time, the people of Israel cry out to God. God hears their cries, and he calls someone to deliver them from their mess, a man named Moses. And so Moses has, has his own personal journey, but in, in, in and through, uh, through Egypt, he, he, um, 
He's called to confront Pharaoh. And then through that process, God brings the plagues and then the exodus, the Red Sea. Uh, You're probably familiar with the story of them wandering in the desert. God guided them with a cloud of, uh, a pillar of clouds by day and a, a, a pillar of fire at night. Pretty cool navigational system that God hooked them up with. And so they're wandering in the desert and they come to a point at the base of this mountain and Moses goes up to meet with God to receive God's law, his revelation, his, his law to the people. In Exodus 32, we pick up at an interesting point in the story. Moses is up on the mountain. The people are all down at the bottom. Verse one, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them. Do you ever get tempted sometimes when somebody asks you a really, really dumb question that you want to answer right away? (laughs) I want to encourage you, in the moment, when you get asked a dumb question, don't be quick to reply. There's some wisdom in keeping your mouth shut. But Aaron answers them. He says this, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf. And here's what I want you to catch. We've just been in a series called Your Toolbox. Listen to what Aaron says. He says, he fashioned it with a tool. See, just like you and just like me, Aaron had a toolbox. And the reality is, the question is, what are you going to do with that toolbox? How are you going to use it? Aaron used his to fashion a calf made out of gold. This is not going well. If you know the story, this is not going well. There's, there's kind of a flash to the top of the mountain. God goes ahead and expresses to Moses, hey, Moses, he says, your people, <laughs> he doesn't address them as his people, he says, your people who you led, they're actually getting in trouble. He, he talks to him. You see, what you need to know about God is that God is love. He doesn't just have love or it, he is love. It is who he is. He is love, but God is a jealous God and he doesn't share with others. Immediately after this happens, God lets Moses know your people have gone astray. They, they've gone sideways. You see, the God that met Moses in the bush is the one and the true God. He is the God. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You see, that concept of one God was as novel back then as it is offensive today. There are many trains of thought in our world today that say, well, there's, there's lots of gods and there's lots of ways to get to heaven. Right? You've probably heard some of these. You see, what God had said very clearly back in the day is just as true today. People like multiple choice. Those of you students, how many of you love when you have, would rather have a multiple choice test, okay, or an essay test? Raise up, raise your hand for multiple choice. Okay, how about essay? Now, there's a few essay people, okay, because you can really, I mean, you can, some of you can talk, and some of you can write. 
And so you like essays because you can make people think you know a lot, right? That's, that'd be my preference sometimes. But we like multiple choice. We like multiple choice. Can I share with you an observation? God doesn't give us multiple choice. He gives us true or false. He gives us but one choice. I, I love C.S. Lewis and what he says. He says it this way. You don't, have, you don't have a choice. God didn't intend for you to have multiple choices. Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. Okay? You don't have multiple choice. He didn't intend to give you one. He is who he said he is, and God communicates this to his people. If you flip back a few pages, you don't need to, I'll read this, but in Exodus chapter 20, he lays down the law. The first law is, you shall have no other gods before me. And then he says, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Would you say idol? Idol. Or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or is in the water underneath. Today, more than ever, what I've found is that we live in a world full of idols. There's idols everywhere. They're everywhere, they're everywhere, they're everywhere. <laughs> it's crazy. Idols, you talk about a pandemic. We've had a pandemic for a long time of idols. They're a problem. They're everywhere. We're a very visual people. Humans are visual. And in our world today, there's lots of alternative facts. There's lots of impatience. There's lots of instant gratification. And there's lots, of course, of self-indulgence. Just like the people in Exodus, we want what we want, and we want it right now. I have a nephew, my, my uh, uh, nephew Zach. When he was about four years old, I was watching him, and he wanted something. And I said, no, Zach, you can't have that. I said, no, Zach, you can't go there. I was trying to protect him, trying to be, you know, Uncle John. And, and I remember him saying, at four years old, very crystal clear, he said, me want to do what me want to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, as we get older, we find different ways to say it, but the heart can be the same. Yeah, we like multiple choice because we like to be the ones in control. And we like to choose what is best for us. We want to do what we want to do. Let's say it together. We want to do what we want to do. It's just our reality. We want to be that. We want to do that. And so today I want to pose a question as we're sharing today. And the question is this. If we want to be the church, if we want to be Jesus to a world around us that's desperately in need of Jesus, how do we live in a world saturated with idols? How do we do that? I believe that we would agree that God wants us to live in a way where we would not worship idols. But how in the world do we do that? They're everywhere. I want you to know this morning that I have some good news to share with you. It's in here. The answer is in here. The answers to the test are in here. Now, we, we tend to want to look in the world, but it's actually in the word. God has given us the revelation of his word, and it's in here, and we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about that. You see, the truth of idol worship is that when, when we come to idols, we, we bring our worship to them. The, the Psalms uh, are full of praise and worship. And in Psalm 115, the author says this, those who make idols become like them, and so will those who trust in them. 
You see, when we begin to shape idols, we begin to make idols, they begin to make us. And we begin to look like that which what we worship. That's why I'm so thankful for the vision of this church to meet Jesus, and then the next step really is about worship. How are we gonna be Jesus? Because what we worship is what we become. What we worship is what we become, and it's this that we're going to talk to today. So what is the problem with idols? Well, the first pr problem is this. We have to admit that we've got them. Okay, so I want you to turn to somebody right now that you're standing or sitting next to, and okay, just say, I got them, okay? Yep, you got them. You got them. You, first, you just got to admit it. Now, if you're at a place in your life where you would say you don't have any idols in your life, we need to switch spots, okay? Because I got to tell you this. I got a number of idols in my life. And what's crazy about them is that a lot of times I'm just discovering them. Well, this is what, I, I think I know why, because Jan Lynn, she, she writes this. She says, everything in the life of a Christian, including your family, and certainly work and recreation, can become idolatrous. Amen. If we are not careful. If we're not careful, absolutely anything and everything in your life can become an idol. Because an idol is simply something that you worship and you love more than God. And so we're gonna talk about, we're gonna talk about some of those idols today because it's, it's just absolutely a part. They're, they're absolutely a part. And, and one of the idols uh, that seems to pop up regularly in my life and in the life of the friends and people that I know in, in Brandon and people I know across the country, it, it's just an idol that seems to pop up and it's the idol of money. You might want to write this one down because I think it cuts across most demographics. The idol of money. You either have too much, you either have too much and you worship it, or you don't have any and you're always worshiping what you don't have. What's the, what's the number one cause of marriages breaking up? Money. That's right. Okay. Show me the what? It's everywhere. Money is an issue. It's an idol. It's an absolute issue. And one of the reasons I know this is because of where we spend our money. Do you know one of the fastest growing industries over the last decades in the United States is the storage facility industry? Okay, <laughs> because we got a problem not with money, sometimes we got a problem with spending. And, and so we buy all this stuff and then we go, wow, what do I do with all this stuff? I've gotta go rent a place, I gotta buy a house for my junk, okay? And then they make TV shows about it. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Like, storage wars. Like, <laughs> crazy. We're obsessed with junk. We, we spend money on junk that won't last and won't even keep our attention past Christmas morning, and then it's around, and we feel like we need to hang on to it, so we rent storage spaces. Here, here's the reality. Every man, woman, and child in the United States, there are six square feet of storage space available for you. Think about that. Every man, woman, and child has a like locker-sized storage facility somewhere that's available for them to rent right now. People, it's a 40, over a $40 billion industry. It's crazy. We have this stuff, we have this money, and we buy it. And, and as a pastor, I've had the opportunity to be a part of a number of funerals. In all of that time, in all of the funerals that I've been a part of, I've never once heard reference to a storage unit or seen a U-Haul behind the hearse. So why do we spend so much time collecting, sorting, and organizing junk. Here's a thought. 
Some of you have a, a, bra- a bracelet that says that Jesus wouldn't got himself in this position. Some of you have that bracelet. Okay, I, I don't know all the letters, but um, perhaps Jesus wouldn't have bought all the stuff that you have. Perhaps. I mean, Jesus, we don't have a record of Jesus even having a house. I, I'm pretty sure he didn't have a boat. Well, he maybe had a boat. I don't know about that one. He might have leased it. <laughs> I'm not sure, Okay. But I, I have, right across from my house in Brandon, we, we just had one put up. It's a, it's a, it used to be a house there. They, they tore the house down. They built, uh, they, they uh, leveled this lot out, put a fence around it, and it's a boat and RV storage facility. And within a week, it was over half full in the dead of winter. And I have a feeling it's going to continue to, to fill up. Because in our world, one of our idols is money. And what do you do with money? You buy stuff. We're addicted to that. Jesus said this, he said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I want to offer you a suggestion because I don't believe that Jesus intended for us to spend all of our resources on money. Did you know that God's character involves something called wrath? His wrath, unlike our wrath, however, is holy, it is pure. You see, there's one thing that God can absolutely not stand and that's sin. God cannot stand idolatry. He, he will not share with other idols. It's very clear in Scripture. And in fact, in the New Testament, we actually see some examples of Jesus and this idea of greed. And one of them that's actually listed in all four of the Gospels, and that's significant. Every Gospel has this account. We're going to read from Mark chapter 11. But you can also find it in John chapter 2, Matthew chapter 21, and Luke chapter 19. Jesus clearing the temple. I just want to read and I just want you to listen to how Jesus approached this idol of money. And they came to Jerusalem and he, Jesus, entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it into a den of robbers. It would appear that God... It would appear that Jesus wanted to make his radical displeasure with idolatry in the church very, very clear. Let me ask you a question. Is money an idol for you? Has Christ or cash captured your heart? You see, I can't answer that question for you. And I think that's where we get in trouble is we try to answer it for other people. And then we move into a whole other category of transgression because we make assumptions. We assume things. But ask yourself this question. Don't think of anyone else. Push that back. Or you might have the desire to point the finger or judge someone else. But in your heart, reflect honestly and personally, do I love money or do I love God? You see, the reality is your bank statement will tell a story. It's a love story. 
It really is. I've been convicted on this in my own life, and I won't share in detail, but those folks in Brandon that are part of our church know the struggle that I've been going through recently. Because when you look at my bank statement, there's one line that keeps reoccurring. Guess what it has to do with? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but there's something else that keeps showing up. $5 here, $10 there, $11 here. At places like Casey's, McDonald's. And guess what? I'm not buying gas. I'm not buying food for the family. I'm feeding something deep inside of me, trying to cure something that'll never be cured. You see, when you read my bank, the love letter in my bank, a lot of times it has to do with food. I don't know about you, but for me it's an issue. It's an idol. And I've been, as we've been processing through this as a church, I, I've, been, I've been struggling with it. But listen to what, to what Paul writes to Timothy. Paul the mentor speaking to Timothy, his student, listen to what he says to him in chapter 6. He says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of a corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. What he's doing is he's basically saying, if you worship money, it's going to be a problem in the church. It's going to be a problem in your relationships. But godliness, he says, with contentment is great, great, great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I love how the Bible reads. It's extremely clear. Stay away from the idol of money. It's going to be an issue. For the love of money, Paul writes, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You see, money is an idol, and as Paul says, we need to root it out. We can't root it out in anyone else but ourselves. It needs to start here. Let his word do it. Ask the honest question, do I love God or do I love money? Here's, here's a great way, a great prescription. It's actually God's prescription for idolatry and money. He said this. He said, why don't you take the first 10% of your crop and why don't you give it away to the kingdom? Why don't you invest it in the kingdom of God? You see, when you take the principle of first and you put God first and you return to him what he's given to you, the first portion, guess what happens? He's able to bless your life. Do you know what else happens? It's that you're fighting back, you're pushing back on the, on the core of idolatry. It's, I, don't know, I don't know anybody, I think everybody struggles with money and stuff, but people that tithe, people that put God first in their finances are on their way to financial freedom. It's the first step. Amen. 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 Invest in the kingdom. Here, I want, and the reason I'm here is I want to just tell you what that looks like. You see, because of your investment in the kingdom, I was able to pick up my phone this morning. Okay? Because of your courage and your willingness to, to invest, 
not in your own stuff, but in what invest the kingdom of God. I got a call this morning, and I got a word from you from a friend. And, and I, I got the call, and, and as a pastor sometimes, as a life group leader, as a youth minister, um, those of you that serve in the youth group, where are you at? Where are you at? Good. Thank you. Um, does your phone ever ring and you look at it and you go, oh, now what? Does that ever happen to you? Parents, does that ever happen to you? Now what? How, how about those of you that, that, that have a boss and the boss calls? Now what? How, how, about, how about any of you that, that uh, have employees? <laughs> now, now what? Well, this morning I was getting ready to come here and, I, and our church phone was, rang to uh, Pastor Dwayne. He was taking the church phone this morning. But I had my, pers- my personal phone, and I looked down at the caller ID, and I thought to myself, now what? And, and the, that was the first thought that came to my mind. I've got a lot of things to do this morning. Okay, and I'm getting a call now. This person is part of our church. They know my schedule on Sundays. Why are they calling me at this time? And, and, and they called, and they, the first words they said, uh, Pastor, I just want to let you know that, that we're not going to be at church today. And I, I, I kind of, I didn't say anything. Smart, I was smart enough and awake enough not to open my mouth. Because a lot of things were going through my mind. And then she went on to give me an update on, on her husband's health, who God is miraculously doing a miraculous work in this person. And, and she wanted me to share that with the church. And so I, I'm here to share that with you. And then she wanted to give me an update on her situation, her health. And then an update on a very negative situation that happened this week in her life. And I'm listening because I knew I, I didn't want to say anything. I just wanted to listen. I wanted to be there to listen. And finally we got to the end and she said this to me. She said, when you go to church today, I'm not going to be there, she told me. I want you to tell them, thank you for being my church. And so she had no idea that I was going to be here today. But I know her story. And without this church, this lady and her husband and many of her family would never have met Jesus. And so I want you to know, thank you. Yes, thank you. Because I believe it would have been very easy for a church like Celebrate to say, you know what, we're going to keep dollars inside our building. We're going to keep dollars inside of our city. We're going to keep people here serving in this body but instead, what has God done? He's done this. And the church is letting go. And because of that, over the last four and a half years, 238 people have made first-time decisions for Christ in Brandon. <laughs> Praise God. And see, you might not feel it. You might not realize it. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time, but I want you to know something. You're a part of that. You're a part of that. The ministry of this church isn't just to serve the people inside of these walls, it's to reach a world that's outside of these walls. And that's why we do what we do. That's why we do what we do, that's the church. There's one more idol that I wanna talk about and it's the idol of me. Not me, but the idol of you, it's the idol of self. Because in a world, one of the most popular things that I, I always hear about are these memes. Have you guys heard about these memes? Some of you are like, what do you, what do you mean? Well, it's, it's literally, it's very popular o- online, okay? If you, raise your hand if you've heard of a meme, okay? Keep your hand up if you've been a part of a popular meme, okay? <laughs> okay. Some of you, not yet. Um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna play a little game called What Do You Meme, okay? 
It's real simple. I'm going to show a meme, and then I'm going to read the meme. So go ahead. Let's look at this first one. Okay. Take all that in. That's, that's the image. Okay, here, here's, the, here's the meme that goes with it. When you, uh, oops. I knew this was going to happen. I'm just thankful my zipper's not down. That's usually what it is. I just got the cards out of order. That's okay. Uh, well, that's not it. Deb. It was me. Okay. All right, so here's, here's this one. This is when you order first at the restaurant, but the neighbors who ordered after you get their food first. Right? You guys know this is that look. Okay, here, here's the next one. Okay. Here's the meme. When you're in a crowded elevator, someone farts, and it's you. Okay. Right. You can go to the next one. All right, this is that, this is that moment when somebody say, oh, you used to be so cute. What happened? All right, we'll take a look at the next one here. All right, this is when you're at the hockey game and the kiss cam comes next to you and your dad. (laughs) All right, here's the next one. All right, so when the teacher says it's time, it's, it's, uh, we can have a timeout when you thought you were past the age for timeouts. All right. Anybody like to have a timeout sometimes? Hey, kids, I tell you what, these timeouts are really helpful. The older you get, they're, they're really helpful. Let's go to the last one, Deb. Let's go to the very last one. Okay, now this is you when your parents ask you, what does lit mean again? Right? See, see, these are memes, and the reason memes, I believe, are so popular is because they connect with our experiences and biases that we have about ourselves. You see, we look at them and we connect with them because it portrays who we are and the feelings we have. It's perpetuating, it's promoting, it's nurturing an image about which we obsess, because you guys have all been in some of those moments. You can relate to some of those memes. Not everybody can relate to all of them, but each of us can relate to some of them. And that's the power of an image. It's the power of a picture. It's the power of a, vid- of a visual. And here's the problem with the idol of me, the idol of self, is that we objectify images in the way we want them to benefit ourselves. Pornography is an example of this. You see, instead of real, true intimacy, what we will do is we will take an image and we will control it. And we will put in whatever we want to put in because it takes intimacy. What God created for a husband and wife in the context of a marriage, and it puts it in your hands. It gives you control. Pleasure at the, at the tips of your fingers. 
This is what memes are. This is what self-idolatry is. It's taking an image and worshiping it, objectifying it. Self-idolatry comes when we focus on the shell or the exterior and we neglect the interior. We obsess about the image and these images become idols. And there's only one solution for this idol. We need to turn and we need to repent. If you're a man here in this room or you're a woman or you're a young person and you struggle with pornography, what you need to do, the first thing you need to do is you need to turn away from that image or images. It's not gonna be easy, it's a strong pull. Satan is good. We talked about the self-storage industry. The pornography industry dwarfs the self-storage industry in terms of dollars spent. This is what self-idolatry is. It's pornography. And Satan is very good at it. And so if you're struggling with that today, what I want to encourage you to do is take a step away. It might mean turning the phone off. It might mean having a hard conversation. It might mean taking a step back or reaching out to a pastor, to a friend, to somebody and say, hey, I've got an idol issue. I've got an issue and I need some help. I need some help. I, I, was, I was a couple, a couple weeks ago, I was reaching out to a friend of mine and he's, he's been a friend of mine since I moved to Sioux Falls. In fact, when I got to Sioux Falls, he was the first person uh, that I met. And he, he and I actually became uh, roommates for a time and we played together and we had became just great friends, and, and over the last few months, he and I have spent a lot of time together going hunting and, and fishing, and so I texted my friend, and I said, hey, what are you doing tonight? It was like Thursday night at like 9.30, and we were talking about the weekend and maybe possibly going and getting some, doing some hunting, and so it's the middle of hunting season, and I asked him, I said, what are you doing? Do you know what he said? Just text me back and said, I'm painting lures. It's like, you are? Wow, okay. Well, I thought it was hunting season. 9.30 on a Thursday, here's my buddy. He's got hundreds of lures, hundreds of jigs out in his garage, and he's hand-painting them. Now, these are ones I made, okay? He showed me how to do it. And so he, he takes the lead, and he melts it down, and then he puts it in a mold. Then he cools it, and then he dunks it in some powder paint, and then he heats it, and he bakes it. And then he takes a hook, or he takes this uh, little, little thing, he, he makes this hook. And what this is, is this, some of you that are fishermen, uh, I'm not, this was news for me. This is what's called a jig, okay? So it does this, it hits the bottom, and then it does this. Then it hits the bottom, and, it, 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 and, and you're pulling on this, okay? Some of you that are fishermen are going, this guy doesn't know anything about fishing. I, I don't. <laughs> for some of you like me that don't know fishing, you're like, oh, thanks for the tip. Um, <laughs> But what you do, the key to fishing is you find the place where the fish are, and then you present them with a lure, with an irresistible image that they can't not focus on. And the reason that my friend does this is so that these colors and this action attracts fish. I asked him, I said, how many fish have you caught in your life, Shannon? And he goes, I have no idea. He said, hundreds of thousands of fish. <laughs> He's serious about fishing. That's why it's Thursday night, 9.30, he's painting lures in his garage. I said, why don't you just go buy them? He goes, that'd be way too expensive. <laughs> and he's, got, he's got literally hundreds and hundreds of lures to catch fish. Can I tell you something about the enemy? He's got nothing to do but paint lures to catch your flesh. He's got nothing to do. He sits around in his garage at night 
and he creates distractions. He creates idols that he knows will attract you. And then he hooks your flesh and he starts reeling you in. Breaks my heart. Because we've got a bunch of suckers in our world and in our church, unfortunately, that take the bait. They get hooked. And then it's just a matter of time until they get reeled in. That's what the idol, the image, the idol of, or the, uh, the uh, uh, image in idolatry does. It hooks us. It captures our attention. And do you know what Satan's favorite lure is for you and I? I believe this with all my heart. His number one favorite rule, lure, and the, and the thing about it is, is he doesn't even have to work very hard to make these because they're everywhere. His number one favorite lure is in every home, every hotel, every trailer, um, everywhere I've ever been, in any type of a home, they have multiple of these lures. You know what it is? Nope. Not a TV. Cell phones, nope. Yeah, well, refrigerator, yeah, that could be one. <laughs> Every hotel room I've ever been in, this morning when I got up, there's, there's multiple of them in my house. It's, it's a mirror. It's a mirror. Because here's, here's what happens. We, we, we get enamored with our own image. And how much time do we spend, how much energy do we waste staring into our own image? We stare in the mirror. You've probably heard of narcissists, Okay. From Greek mythology, he was a character who was so in love with his own image that he just laid by the lake and he stared at himself in the pond. Do you know what happened to Narcissus? He fell in and drowned. You see, the issue that we have is the same issue that the people in Israel had. They had this idea that they and their image was so important and Satan knows that about us. He knows that Self is an issue, and I, and I want to just say a disclaimer here because I know this is something that Pastor uh, Pastor Keith talks about a lot. I'm not confusing self idolatry with self care. I want to affirm something: the most important person in your life had better be you. Okay, you've heard that because we're to love God, we're to love people. How as we? That's right. See, self-idolatry and self-love are two separate categories, but the enemy, because he's so deceptive and he's smarter than any of us, has conflated the two. And what, what many Christians believe is, well, I just need to, I just need to kill, I just need to, you know, live this terror, you know, I'm, I'm not worth anything. Oh, woe is me. That's not what God wants for your life. It's what Satan wants for your, for your life. And so I want to I close because we asked the question at the beginning, how do we then live in this world that's full of idols? How do we do it? The Bible gives us the answer in Colossians chapter 2, or excuse me, in Colossians chapter 1, it says this, the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You see, today what we need to understand is that Jesus is our visual. Jesus is the image of whom we're to focus on. Jesus is the image that we're to be made into his likeness. Jesus is our visual. Can we just say something together in, in, in prayer? I would invite you to say this in a prayerful way, in a, in, a, in a spirit of thanksgiving. Can we just tell God thanks for the visual? Father, thank you for the visual. Thank you for sending your son Jesus 
to be an example, to be an image, to be a visual for us to see what it looks like to grow, to mature, and to be Jesus. Because that's the goal, right? To meet Jesus and then what? To be Jesus. I'm so thankful for Celebrate Church because although I did not meet Jesus here, I met Jesus as a young boy. My mother introduced him to me in a very, very uh, scary moment. She introduced me to Jesus. But when I came here, I began to see what it looked like to be Jesus. I remember one of the first times I was here, we were out in the front, and there was people, um, you guys might remember this, when we were, you know, we used to give people hugs and stuff. <laughs> Jay, you remember that. Yeah, I mean, that used to happen. That was a thing. And, and I was watching, and there was this person who I knew. I'm a self-righteous, uh, very judgmental young person at that time, about 20, and I knew his story. And I knew uh, what a schmuck he was. And I watched a celebrator give this person a big hug. And inside of me, I didn't say it out loud because, you know, again, I was a little scared. But um, inside of me, I was like, what are you giving him a hug for? That guy's, that guy's, man, he's, you know who that is? Do you know what he's done? Apparently not. Because he just gave him a big hug. And when I saw that, it changed everything about how I thought about church. See, I got to see an image. I got to see a visual. Not of the world, but of Jesus, one person being Jesus to another person. See, that made a difference for me. It made a difference. And it's taken me a long time to kind of, you know, sort of begin to figure it out, and I'm still figuring it out. But that's the deal. That's why we need to be Jesus, because people need to see Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, here's what Paul tells us. And if you have, if you have notes, you can write these down. But he's writing to, uh, he's writing to the church And this is what he says about how to live in a world full of idols. He says in verse 5, chapter 3, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he gives us a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is what? Say it with me. Idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. We talked about that earlier. God has wrath, he has wrath towards idolatry. And it's, it's right here in the New Testament. It's not just in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. Repeat, repeat this with me. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. So what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live in a world that's full of sexual immorality, lust, greed? How are we supposed to live in a world like that? We, we, we need to kill them all. We need to kill them all, Right? What does it say? What does he say? Put to death, therefore. See, all of these things, if these are things that you're struggling with today, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, and I, and I know that I do, you need to approach them in a serious manner. You need to kill them all. You need to kill those idols. See, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Here, here's, he goes on, verse 7. You used to walk in these ways, past tense. You used to do these things in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Here's another list. 
If we want to live in a world of idols, we need to kill those idols, and these idols we need to rid. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. How do we live in a world full of idols? We need to clean it up. We need to kill them all, and then we need to clean them up. I was talking with, a, with an acquaintance of mine who I've known for quite a while, and he said, John, what, what is, what is, why does my language make a difference? He, he said this to me, and I, you know, maybe some of you can relate to this. He goes, when I swear, it actually helps me be a better person. Because it actually helps me get some of that out of me. I was like, wow, that's interesting. Okay. Not concerned necessarily about how the people around him feel. Okay. And what message it's sending, but it makes him feel better. And we were talking about this, and he said, he said, do, do, do I have to clean up my language to be a Christian? And I said, well, here's the deal. That's a journey. It's a cleanup process. And it's going to take time, and it's going to take the Spirit of God. It doesn't just happen. The cleaning and washing, it's called sanctification, takes time. But you need to be focused on it. And if people know about you that, that your language is filthy, Guess what they're going to think is not the case, that you're a follower. So what now? Here's the last one. Put on then, verse 10, the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Jew, no Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, say it with me, clothe yourselves with compassion, say compassion. With kindness, say kindness. Humility, gentleness, and patience. Paul goes on, he says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in unity. How are we supposed to live in a world full of idols? Well, we need to identify the idols that need to be killed. We need to identify the idols and the habits, the practices that need to be cleaned. And then finally, we need to put on the clothes. The clothes of kindness, compassion, and humility. I have a certain pair of pants that I love to wear around the house. And my wife doesn't care when I wear them around the house. But the minute I step outside the walls of our house, she reminds me, John, you need to, you need to put on different pants. <laughs> okay. Here's what Paul's telling the church in, in Colossae. Make sure you got your Sunday best on. When you leave the house, make sure that you're wearing kindness. Are you wearing compassion? Humility? Is that what you're known for? Jesus said this. He said, seek first my kingdom. And all other things, all other things, including money, including relationships, will be given to you, he said. I want to invite you to join me as we pray. Father, I pray in this moment that as we reflect and as we think personally about our inclination to worship things of this world, Father, I pray that in each person that can hear my voice, I pray for each person that's listening, that by your spirit, you would prompt us to identify, to begin to act with the level of intensity of those things that we're to kill, sexual immorality and lust, 
Father, I pray that we would have courage, that we would have clarity to see those areas of our lives that need to be scrubbed and cleaned up. For in a world where there's lots of idols and lots of images, it takes wisdom and we need it. And so we're asking you for it. And then, Father, I pray that as we go from this place, as we leave this house, as we leave this building, as we turn off, as we, as we click off onto something else online, that we would be presenting ourselves with kindness, with compassion, humility. And above all, Father, we need love. It's the first of the fruits. But we can't love until we know how much we're loved by you. A holy God who's chosen us and loved us deeply. We ask, Father, in this time that by your spirit you would fill us, renew us, cleanse us, and equip us for your work today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.